Folks, have you checked out the Irish History Podcast shop recently? Right now, I have a sale of 30% off everything when you use the code SALE30. So go to irishhistorypodcast.ie forward slash shop and get 30% off everything when you use the discount code SALE30. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. He brought Irish music from, I suppose, the backwoods into onto the, the motorway. But the, the fine tradition, it is probably something that is passed on and heard. Over the last six decades, traditional Irish music has become synonymous with wider Irish culture. But it wasn't always this way. Indeed, not so long ago, most Irish pubs refused to allow traditional musicians to perform. But in the 1960s, this all began to change. The story of how this happened is a fascinating one and is the focus of today's podcast. It's essentially a modern history of traditional Irish music. Now, what actually motivated me to make this episode right now, however, is that traditional music is again standing at a crossroads, particularly in Dublin, as property speculation is seeing music venue after music venue close down. A future where traditional musicians will struggle to find places to play appears to be looming on the horizon again, so it seemed fitting to look back at how far it's come. To understand this story, I sat down with Tom Mulligan, a legend in the traditional music scene. Tom hails from a family of well-known musicians, but he also runs the famous pub, The Cobblestone, in Smithfield in Dublin, which has become recognised as the hub of traditional music in the capital over the last three decades. Now, this has made The Cobblestone a cultural institution of a kind, But sadly today, it also embodies the uncertainty that lies ahead for the traditional music scene in Dublin as a property developer is seeking to transform this pub into a hotel. So over the next 30 minutes or so, Tom will explain how traditional music has evolved over the last century, how it became central to Irish pubs and where its future lies. Before we begin, some housekeeping to introduce myself. My name is Finn DeWire and this is the Irish History Podcast. Now, next week's episode is going to be something entirely different. It's going to be on what a World War II ration diet was like. So as you might know, during the Second World War, lots of items disappeared from shops. And recently, I found an old World War II recipe book. 
So over the next week, I'll be trying out some of these recipes. Things like tea made from fried carrots and sugar or tomato soup that has actually no tomatoes in it. Anyway, that's all going to be in next week's episode. I'll also be posting updates on Twitter and Instagram during the week as I'm trying these foods. So you'll be able to see my reactions there. You can find me at Irish History on Instagram and Twitter. Finally, in the show notes of the podcast, you'll see this week's special supporters. At the moment, I'm acknowledging and thanking the listeners who keep the show on the road through donating on Acast Plus and Patreon. If you're enjoying the podcast, these people, these listeners who support my work are the ones who deserve most credit. So thanks so much to everyone who supports the show. It really wouldn't be able to happen without you. If you want to find out how you can support the podcast on Patreon or Acast Plus, there's links in the show notes below. Supporting is a really simple process. And lastly, the music on today's episode is performed by Liam Costello. Now, to start my conversation with Tom Mulligan, I wanted to get a handle on what exactly traditional Irish music is, because if you ask 10 people, you might get 10 different answers. So I asked Tom to define it. It became obvious pretty quickly, though, that the history of culture, say like music, is a lot more complex and subtle than the history of a war or a biography of a person. Tom explained how it's bound up in personal experiences and relationships. So he started by explaining his family background and how his parents nurtured and encouraged his love of music. So this story takes us back to the 1930s with Tom's father. Yeah, well, the only thing I can can judge this basically on is on my own background. So the music in our house would have come from my father's side of the family, although my mother maintains there was musicians on her side of the family. My father came from County Leitrim, and he came up here when he was about, in the 30s he came up. He, he got involved in the music through meeting um, a guy that worked in Mountjoy Prison. He was a cook in Mountjoy. His name, uh, I think it was named now, but anyway, he's a cook and he was a flute player. And then through this, my father had no education. Like He left school at primary cert when he was 12, worked on the farm and then came to Dublin. So he was lucky that in, the music got him into a decent sort of a job here. Well, anyway, the music, so his father played music and his grandfather played music. And then you come down to, uh, his, some of his brothers played a bit of music. One of them made fiddles uh, over in America. And we have one of his fiddles here now, which was given to us by the late Mick O'Grady, who was a great man. Yeah? He bought it off of this uncle of mine in, in the 80s in New York. But, uh, and then you come down to my generation, like there was eight children in our family. Uh, my mother was from Kerry, she was from Ballybunion, area called Bale. And then we wouldn't have known what tradition was because we were just given the job of learning this. This was something that, like we were in the Boy Scouts and we were in the Altar Boys and we were in music and we played football. And that was what it was about. But to define music, is, or to define tradition, it is probably something that has passed on and heard. My father... Uh, you know, he heard the likes of Leo Rousam playing the Illum Pipes on the street in Mull uh, when he was a kid, you know, and he was blown away by this. Never heard anything like it before. So when he came to Dublin, like, the first thing he did was he came across this guy, Tommy Reck, who lived in Malkinstown in the end. Uh, he was from a Wexford family, uh, and they were all kind of musicians. And the two of them became great pals, and money being scarce at the time, my father learned the yellow pipes from him, and Tommy Reck learned the fiddle from my father, yeah. 
Then, just to make sure we're all on the same track about what we're talking about here, I wanted to ask Tom what exactly the instruments he might be talking about when he talks about traditional Irish music. Tom started explaining that the older forms would have utilised the harp and that would have been central to it. But then you're going to hear, and it's about a minute into his answer, but it gets really interesting because Tom explains how traditional Irish music today has influences all across the world. So from Europe, America and Africa, it's a really interesting twist on it because you would be forgiven for thinking that traditional music might be rooted deep in the history of this island. Anyway, here's Tom's answer. So I suppose that the, 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 the premier instrument down through the years would probably have been the harp. And there was a big gathering of harpers up in Belfast and uh, Bunting made a collection of music uh, and it's still on record and they had to notate that they had no recording equipment and it was down to them too and he employed a lad who had Irish who would notate maybe or write down the words of songs in Irish and uh, Petrie was another great collector but like the harp would have been the, 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 the there was three string harps and it was kind of a variation of what we see today and the grand harps going and they would have been the, the instrument of the bard. And there was also a kind of thing like a timpon, was it was the name, but it was uh, a very kind of hard instrument to figure out. And then there was a kushle kjol, which was a sort of a, a pipe, which would be the predecessor of maybe the whistle flute, and, and which eventually developed into the and pipes. But coming into the modern day, um, with the development of instruments around the world, like the, the fiddle or the violin became a, an, a, an amazing instrument to, to play music on. And the flute was another great introduction. When the, arm, the British Army or the British Empire fitted, they, they had bands, and they had these flute bands, fife and drum bands. And when the modern uh, bone system flute came into uh, being, which is the kind of silver flute with loads of keys on it. All these old flutes were just, they were out of style out of, and they became so available to the people, uh, uh, the peasantry, I suppose, of, of this country that they took them up and played them with, with, you know, with enthusiasm. And that's why the flute is such a great instrument here. And then the, with the development of the Ilum pipes then, um, this was another f- phenomenal thing. And, a, a, and it is only a, uh, some people call it Irish lazy piper because every other piping culture nearly blows into it, you know, whereas the Irish use the bellows, you know. The, and the Ilum w- w- word is, the, the Ilum is uh, the word for elbow. So the elbow pipes that became, and there was anglicised to union pipes, but the Ilum pipes would be a great one. And then the banjo came from the American tradition, having travelled from Africa. Uh, the guitar is uniquely Spanish, and well, it used to be, and now it's in every, every session that you come across, you know. But every type of, like it's all about, you don't get electric guitars in it, you don't get any sort of electrification. The Bowron is involved in a Bower being the word for deaf, you know, uh, the Irish word for deaf. So, like, if you're if you're playing the Bowron, you'll hear it. <laughs> you don't have to be deaf. <laughs> but you know, things like that. Like, it's a mixture. The the whole culture, like Ireland, borrowed um, certainly from uh, being part of the British Empire and mainland Europe. They borrowed comings and goings, like set dancing 
was a kind of a military formation and set dancing was like a, 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 a version of a dance that the British Army used and it would be kind of shown movements and all this sort of thing and that then came into the Irish tradition. Um, there's three different types. Of, there's set dancing, there's actually the Irish dancing which is very formal and gowns and wigs and then you have Shannos dancing which is probably the purest type of dancing that we have because it has it remained uh, uncommercialized for years and years and years you know and we used to teach it here so you have that and then you have the Shano singing which is uh, probably the purest form of music that is in Ireland at the moment you know and has come down verbally through generations without being notated you know. Now the next story that Tom tells really gets home how international influences and processes like emigration have shaped Irish traditional music Tom explained how the song, She Moves Through the Fair, you might be familiar with the Sinead O'Connor, iconic version of that. But anyway, how this song was nearly lost, but then rediscovered at a Polish folk festival over 60 years ago. So this story begins with the background to a traditional musician called Marcin Burns, who rediscovered the tune. Garrick de Bruyne, who was one of the Guinness heirs and the founder of Clatter Records, took him under his wing and he had him working as a gardener out in Lugalaw in County Wicklow and he had eventually they lived up in Woodtown Manor in in uh, Ratfarnham and like a, a great man and a lovely kind of man but he went out with to a folk festival in Poland in the late 50s early 60s I can't really you know those three of them went out but at that folk festival this American woman got up and sang a song called She Moved Through the Fair now, everybody in Ireland knew that song existed and they had the words of it, but nobody had the music of it. And this woman, this is a song that had gone to America, uh, been lost to Ireland because nobody knew it, and ended up being sung by an American singer at a folk festival in Poland. Now, Marcin Bournes and I think it was Willie Clancy notated that and brought it back. And there isn't a week goes by that you don't hear that song now, you know. But that's where, like, that's the, the movement of music. Like, I went around the world before I came back to Ireland. As we chatted, the importance of family or personal connections in traditional music became inescapable. The importance of friendships or family, as I say, in disseminating music has been the lifeblood of traditional Irish music for centuries. Tom told this story, for example, about how his father shared music with another really famous traditional musician, Tony McMahon. But it gets across how kind of informal connections are so central. My father always tells me a, a, a story about, well, he used to tell Lord Mercy, a story about giving Tony McMahon a lift from the club in Church Street and they were heading to some place in the city centre, like around Parnell Square. And Tony liked a tune my father had played in the St Mary's Music Club or the Fiddler's Club as they call it and he, my father was lilting it to him in the car and Tony had the accordion out in the back of this Volkswagen Beetle and by the time they got to Parnell Square he had to drive, had to drive around twice around Parnell Square so that he could get the full tune. <laughs> now while it's almost impossible to imagine today up to the 1960s traditional Irish music was not played in pubs bars did not welcome trad at all well, Tom will explain how this changed. First, I asked him, where did people play if not in pubs? The impression I got from his answers you're about to hear now is that it was more subcultural than it is today. 
Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Recently, I had a minor argument with a close friend that brought up things from my past that I really needed to get off my chest. I think we've all been there. Now, I found therapy a really great way to work through these issues. For me, I really like online therapy. And BetterHelp is a really great online service that allows you to make space for therapy no matter how busy you are. BetterHelp is convenient, affordable, and gives you the support you need, but also works around your schedule. It's really easy to get up and running with a therapist on BetterHelp. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. You can do your sessions by text, phone or video call, whichever suits you best. It's all about flexibility, working around your schedule. At the moment, BetterHelp are offering listeners to the show 10% off their first month. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash irishhistory today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Irish history. Well, you know, you would meet at possibly the Oireachtas, which was a competition that was, and the Pipers would have had um, gatherings. Um, My father used to um, go on musical picnics, right, and they'd go out and they would take the boat at Holt and go out to Ireland's Eye and they'd have a picnic out there and they'd spend the day playing music. So it was a, a social gathering, you know, and you would have female musicians and male musicians and they would go off for the day and then they would go around, uh, you know, they'd go back to their home place and they knew, like my father would lead them, so he knew who the musicians were down there and he would meet up with them maybe, you know. But still, the, 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 the pubs thought music was kind of very unfashionable and didn't want it you know whatever was fashionable at the time like you had you know Elvis Presley was like a big hit worldwide and he was he was you know I, I always remember a fellow Larry Masterson who comes in here was uh, he's from Castle Pollard in County Westmead and they were talking about Joe Bourke and and they were talking, it was, Joe Bork played a tune down there one time and, and uh, this young lad came in and he played the accordion, you know, as best he could, you know. And uh, Larry said to his grandmother, like, 
he's a great accordion player, but what do you think of Joe, Joe Borkin? He says, Joe Borkin's grand, but can he play the modern? You know, can he play the modern? He was talking about Elvis. <laughs> While the story of traditional music is one of hundreds of thousands of musicians sharing and honing this music over decades, there is one individual who played a towering role in the development of modern Irish traditional music, and that's Sean O'Reilly. Many of you may have heard that name before, but I asked Tom to explain who he was and what his contribution was. Well, Sean O'Reilly was originally from <coughs> Limerick, so he went to college in Cork and the School of Music and met and married the love of his life there and like went to work for RTE and went composing. But he was training in a kind of a classical vein rather than a traditional. And traditional music wouldn't have had the big impact on him at that stage. But as his career, you know, progressed, he got involved in it and he kind of, he made arrangements of, of traditional music and he brought it all together and, you know, and put it into the gaiety, you know. I mean, who, who ever done that before, you know? He brought Irish music from, I suppose, the backwoods into onto the, the motorway for the... Yeah. <laughs> And, and he brought what would turn out to be the chieftains together. Like So you have Paddy Maloney, who was buried last year. I was at the funeral as well. But you had all these fantastic musicians that Sean O'Reilly kind of grouped together. They may, not have, uh, uh, they may not have got together but for him, but he brought them together because he saw something in their style of music. And like he brought you know, uh, singing into it. And like he popularised the whole thing and put it on in a performance grade and made arrangements. He put them in dress suits and put them into the gaiety. And like, this was phenomenal. Never heard it before, you know. But he made Irish music very respectable. And with that respect came the acceptance of music. And he would have been, I suppose, the driving force in, you know, making music the popular idiom it is today, you know. Around the time that Sean O'Reilly was taking trad from the backwoods to the motorway, as Tom explained, a very well-known pub in Dublin, O'Donoghue's, was also doing something different. Now, this pub is near Stephen's Green. It still exists today. But they began to have music sessions, and this would prove pivotal. Well, I would think, if you, if you go back to the pubs now, what you're talking about playing, well, yeah. Paddy and Maureen O'Donoghue had the pub in Merrion Row uh, off Stephen's Green, and they were the ones that kind of pushed that agenda of having music in there. They didn't have a television. I remember not being served there one time because my hair was touching me short colour, you know. So, you know, they kind of, and my father loved going over there because the first time I ever went in there, John Kelly, who had a, 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 sh a shop here in Capel Street, and Joe Ryan, both of them were from Clare, and they were sitting in the corner playing, and it was sweet music, you know, for me anyway. And it was a great day out as far as I was concerned. But now, building on these developments, Tom himself went on to open what has become the most famous trad pub in Dublin, the Cobblestone. We actually recorded this interview there. I came here in 1987. I used to work for an insurance company called the PMPA, and it went bust. And I was going to emigrate to America, you know, and I said, I'm not staying around for this, you know. And I, got, and I was a shareholder in the PMPA. Any money I got, I put it into it. And uh, the shares were worthless, 
I had a house loan, I had a car, I was single, you know, I'll go off to America. And I didn't. You know, I got involved in this by accident. And, uh, you know, and this was an early morning pub. And we opened here six days of the week at seven o'clock in the morning. And like two or three mornings every week, there was a row of some sort, you know, and it was like you just had to do. Yeah. And then most of our, uh, the, uh, uh, in the evening time, the, 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 I suppose the activity centred around dart teams and the pool team. We had a pool table out there and we had darts and we had television. And, and then they started to build apartments here. You know, I'm looking at this and uh, this would be the 90s. You know, I said, well, this is our opportunity now to do what, continue on what my father had started, you know. And so we got rid of the television, we got rid of the pool table, we got rid of the, uh, the dart teams and we started the first night there was music here there was a row you know and we, like we had four musicians here that day with my brother Neely playing the Ellen Pipes Sean O'Brien who was a gorgeous flute player from um, Upton Avon Road his father used to teach Paddy Bon O'Brien used to teach music in the original uh, uh, Church Street Club and then we have uh, Larry Kinsler was a concertina player from Wex Wexford. He's dead now, Lord of Mercy. He was playing there. And Vincent Harrison was a, uh, a Leitrim man uh, from Drummer Hare who came back from Ireland in 1989. I came back to Ireland from America and re retired, you know, but a gorgeous fiddle player. I mean, a gorgeous fiddle player. But like they were the four guys that started the music off here, and that was only one night a week, and then we increased that to two, and it kind of, like you used the word organically there, and it, that's the way it happened here, you know. So it came to the stage where we didn't have to open the pub early anymore, and we just concentrated on the music, you know. The transformation since the 1960s is remarkable. Now, 60 years ago, trad musicians were not allowed in pubs, but today it is the central feature of the cobblestone. Respect for the music is a big thing. We were here, uh, it was a St. Patrick's Day here, the noise got intolerable, you know. And I, I, I stood on the counter and I said, like, you just have to, these people are playing music here, you just have to listen or get out, you know. I mean, there's no point in coming here and having a, 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 a conversation like at the top of your voice because everyone was packed, everyone was there packed. And I said, stop it, you know, you have to stop and listen to these guys. They're playing music, they're playing for ye. Give them a chance. And they did do that. But you get a singer every so often who will stun the place, you know, and, and, and people will just listen, you know. Even though music may have moved into pubs, what I found really interesting as Tom talked about the cobblestone is that trad sessions, which could be found in pubs up and down the country, have continued what has been an essential component of this music scene. That's the sharing of tunes and airs. This continues right up to this day. The, the, the session was kind of started, I suppose it wasn't started, but it, it, it grew organically again. But it would be, if you had a, a tune, you know, that came from Donegal and I had a tune that came from Kerry. I said, this is a lovely tune, hear this, and play it. And you say, Jesus, that's great. Can I, what's the, what do you call it? And where, who composed it? And it's, it's very social and composed. And then you go and you, 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 you swap tunes, as they call it, and swap songs. And, you know, and if somebody uh, plays a particular tune kind of pretty well, you'll, you'll ask them maybe to start a tune. Like whoever the resident musicians are to say, well, you start a tune now, and, you know, and that's where it comes from, you know. And then I learned that tune because 
you know, it's it's going to be played again. If he comes in again, he's going to play that tune again. So it's it's incumbent on me to to learn that, you know, and vice versa. In the 21st century, the traditional Irish music scene is far bigger than just people on this island. Tom has this great anecdote from the cobblestone. You know what? We had a guy here from one of the former Russian republics, and he says, "I have learned." He came in here a violin under his arm. I have learned some Irish music. Can I join in? Yeah, come on in. <laughs> now, he had all the music right, but the rhythm was all wrong, you know. But by the time he left, he was, yeah, this is, this is far better, yeah. Over the last half century or more, trad music has unquestionably been transformed. As we neared the end of our discussion, though, it was somewhat inevitable that we would turn to the future because it's increasingly uncertain. Property speculation in Dublin city centre has seen numerous music venues closed down and trad has not been protected against this process. The cobblestone, in fact, has faced this head-on given it's located close to the city centre. We always kind of understood that this, that, that, that this place would eventually come to an end because like the, there was a site beside us is derelict. But there was a, a city architect here um, who was responsible for the modernisation of the city of Limerick, and his name was Jim Barrett. And Jim had a, a great interest in Irish music and culture. And he came in here one night and says to me, Tom, I'm retiring next year, but before I retire, I have put a, a, a preservation order on this pub because of what's going on. And I said, Jesus, Jim, you know. I wasn't expecting that. And he says, now, when I retire, he says, uh, you're, going to, you're going to have some chaos going on here. They're just going to freak. And, yeah. and he was right. I had the fire officer in, I had the health inspectors in. And they're saying, what do you want done? You know, we'll do it. You know, just keep it, you know, and we'll keep this thing going. I had ideas here, like during the lockdown, where I had kind of... Um, investigated the feasibility of putting in a small brewery here. I had investigated, uh, you know, exp- exp- getting another unit so that we could, you know, maybe expand the pub, you know, and make make it bigger and more music in it and more cultural activities. Tom was not given the chance to develop on these ideas. Plans for a hotel that would be built on the site were put into Dublin City Council. Now, this provoked major demonstrations, which initially saw Dublin City Council reject them, but that decision was appealed. Tom explains where things are at the moment. They applied for planning permission there within the last year, and that was the first time I realised that like, the end was in sight uh, for what we were doing. But planning permission was eventually turned down for, for four, four different reasons and one of them was culture. Now that's the first time culture was ever mentioned in a planning application as a reason for refusing planning and uh, as it turns out yesterday the appeal to that decision was withdrawn and it looks like they're going to come up with a new plan now you know so I mean the, the guy that is, is behind it is He's purely a, a property developer, so you know he doesn't see any value in cult. He doesn't see any money in culture. But when you look at the culture that, and, and you look at what went on in the streets here, like it, I was humbled by what went on here. You know, I didn't expect that to happen. I thought I was finished. You know, but you saw what the young people of of Ireland, you know, thought of losing this place here and I did not believe that 
I had caused or been responsible for that depth of feeling about culture and about the possibility of losing. You know, their whole thing was, where are we going to go if we lose this? You know, if we lose the cobblestone, where can we go? Because everyone that comes in here, and it doesn't matter what they do, whether they play music, whether they speak Irish, whether they uh, dance or sing, you know, or, uh, you know, they're all made feel welcome. There's no television interfering with, with, the, with, the, with the culture that's going on here. And everything develops. Like all these bands that developed, you know, like Lancome and Skipper's Alley. And, uh, like they're all kind of offerings up. And John Francis Flynn is a, is a phenomenal at the moment, you know. And uh, they're all, they all have something to offer. There's an all-female group, Landis. They're, you know, making a little name for themselves, you know, and they're all partaking. And anybody that comes in here has something to throw in the pot, you know, and everyone can take out of the pot then, you know. I asked Tom what he would like to see happen to the cobblestone. And I think that the likes of this place here now, if, say, Dublin City Council put a compulsory purchase order on it. Now, the pub is here, but there, it's, it's also a site that is available for development in a sympathetic way with the old style architecture that was was Dublin and it is also the possibility of including a cultural centre here that would be its city centre. I mean Coltus Keltori Erden kind of slipped up moving Everton out to Dunleary Monkstown, you know, it's not city centre, you know. They should have bought something maybe in Parnell Square or something. But but the like this is in the city centre, it's established, it's it's it has a future going forward for the love and uh, realisation of people's dreams about music, singing, dancing and the language, you know. Despite all this, Tom remains optimistic as he reflected on the changes he has seen over the last half century. He thinks the traditional music scene is more resilient now than it's ever been. Well, that's the, like the saying, you know, the price of everything and the value of nothing, you know. Yeah, but, you know, I don't think... Music is in an awful stronger position now, and I base that on the fact that, like, it was a time when I, in my own mind, knew every musician that was around, and I could I'd be on first-name terms with a lot of them, you know. And then... When my children started to grow up, they started bringing people in here. Now, I, I was, well, where did they come out of, you know? These phenomenal musicians that are just getting, you know, where did they come out of? And they're all pals, and they're a generation that's coming up, and I've missed maybe a part of, uh, like, the generation where I knew everybody and this new generation, but, but there was, there's all them in between, you know? And like they have brought, they've brought musicians in here that are phenomenal. Like that Parry Keane fella, you know, his father was a piper, you know, his mother was a, a concertina player. Like they're just where they, where they, they, have, they're playing music for the love of it. And it's, I get fantastic satisfaction out of the fact that this spot is here for them. Because where do you go? Was right, you know. I mean, I've been out foreign, like, I mean, in Slovakia, we were there last October and they're in the process of building a piping house up in Polhora uh, for all the pipers in the, in the locality and that's where they can go, you know. So there is, there is a, a drive in every country, I think, to preserve a tradition. Bordfalcia, 
brings people here for the beauty of the land and all that sort of thing. But thanks be to God for all these music, all this traditional music that's going on, because that's what keeps them here and brings them here, you know. Thanks to Tom for sharing his experience. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. You can find links to the Cobblestone's social media pages in the show notes below. Next week, I'll be back with that episode on World War II ration diets. That's going to be a really fun show. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to it now and get that episode when it drops. Until then, Sloan. <laughs>